Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is, is a Soul Fire, Fire production. production. We're back. Hi. In the kitchen. <laughs> I'm leaving in eight weeks. No, it'd probably be less than that by the time this thing. I know, gets, but when we're recording this, right. eight weeks. Eight. Well, we've, we've got a very interesting show today, so we're going to get right to it because we're going to talk about um, at the end of April, I attended the Healthy Immunity Conference in uh, just north of Ashland in Phoenix, Oregon, um, sponsored by my friend Jennifer Margulis. I want to go through some of the pearls of wisdom of some of the seven speakers that were there. So we've got a lot to get into. I also, there's an article that uh, from our two favorite guys, they're back in the news again. Back. And uh, of course they're publishing in their, the journal that he's on the board of, right. which they always do, mm-hmm. uh, talking about how we're supposed to counsel people ethically to convince them to take the shot. Of course. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the ethical way to do it is to make sure they take the shot. If you don't, if they don't take the shot, then you haven't done it right. That's what they're sort of. The summary is in their paternalistic way. And uh, of course, I've got a birth story. I have a beautiful breach delivery, very similar to your previous birth story. Okay. In the canyons. Uh huh. This time it was a few canyons over as Kenter Canyon, but it was a really nice birth in the Kenter Canyon. First time mom, breach, one foot down, one foot up. So technically, it would be called an incomplete breach, Mm -hmm. which isn't standardized teaching that you can do a frank breach or complete breach, but you shouldn't do an incomplete breach. That's actually not true at term. Incomplete breach is really just a variation. And as long as the butt and the leg are down, then there's a, there's a wide enough uh, dilating wedge to, to do the delivery. You mean as long as the foot is not what's presented yes, for the butt? Correct. As long mm-hmm. as basically the hip is flexed rather than extended. Both. Both hips. Well, well, no, the other, well yeah, the other one is... Mm-hmm. Up by the face. Mm-hmm, the foot is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was beautiful. She she labored heroically. She met a couple of walls. She made it climbed over the walls. Um, 20-hour labor. And what's really interesting about the birth was that we tried pushing in different positions. And she just wasn't doing great. And then a lovely midwife colleague of ours suggested we get her on the birth school. I'm not a big fan of the birth school for catching breaches because it's it, it's hard. On our body. Yeah, it's hard on our body. Yeah, you got to be like a mechanic. <laughs> and she was up against the, the bed, so there was only, like, I could only come at it one side. And she pushed on the birth stool, and she pushed, and she pushed really well, and the foot came out. You can see the toes wiggling, and it was really cute, and we got some nice, great pictures. And then the butt cheeks were thick. And then she began to really rump. And then we thought, okay, let's just get her off the birth stool and put her back on all fours now on the floor, and we'll just do the rest of the delivery, all fours using gravity to our advantage. Baby goes right back up inside. She pushes one or two contractions, baby doesn't come down at all in all fours. She just could not push in all fours. This mm-hmm. is a very common thing that I'm finding is that even though all fours is suggested for breaches, where I'm seeing at least half of my clients don't really want to be in all fours mm-hmm. or don't do well in all fours. So we got her back on the birth stool and within one or two pushes, she was back to where she was before. And then the next push, baby came out to like the foot came out, the, uh, the butt came out, they went to the belly button. Next push, the other leg just about came out. You could see the cleavage. Baby had good tone initially. About a minute, maybe a minute and a half goes by. I have her try to push, even though 
because the baby's not in the uterus anymore and she's exhausted. And she just says, I said, do you want me to help? And she says, yeah. So it just flicked the two arms down and do a little bit of shoulder press and out comes the baby. And it was just, it was just beautiful. And I know we, we toot our own horns sometimes, but here's a primip breach on her, or I think the day before her due date. And um, she got a vaginal birth at home mm-hmm. where 99 point plus percent of physicians and women would not have given her that. She would have had a C-section and then she would have had all the issues that went along with the C-section. V-backs. Right. All that. Yeah. Right. So that was, that was just, just awesome. great. And then on the downer side, I had a virtual, my first virtual funeral. Mm-hmm. My cousin, uh, Ricky, who was in her early seventies passed away. Sorry. Yeah, she's a cousin in my generation of my first cousin. So she's the second first cousin to pass away. So I'm starting to reach that age where <laughs> I'm the youngest of my generation of first mm-hmm. cousins. So hopefully I'll be the last, the last to go. I hope you are too. Um, but uh, it was weird. Yeah, because the virtual part. Yeah, yeah, it was weird. I mean, we, you know, you, you please rise. <laughs> so you're standing and you're seeing people rise and the, and the cameras are all on their belly buttons. You know, because nobody's reaching down and fixing their screen. And uh, there were about 174 people. I don't know if that's a lot for a virtual that's funeral, a but that's a lot, you know. And, um, but it was just, it was strange that because on the screen, one of the corners, they had a picture of the casket at the gravesite on the little metal frame, just sitting there, no people around or anything like that. It was just really weird. It was weird. Yeah. 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 Surreal. I hope we, I hope that that doesn't become the norm. Me too. Right. Me too. And I, th- I feel like people are starting to do things. I feel like people are starting to travel more and see more people. And a client of ours is having a party with a band soon. So I think I think people are starting to want to. I don't think anybody loves Zoom. Think no, I, I think, well, Zoom stock is down too. <laughs> <laughs> I bought five shares, uh, which wasn't a lot of money, but I just, I had this dividend that I had to do something with. So I thought, oh, I'll just buy five shares of Zoom. And it actually was up like 50 bucks a share for a while. And then now it's down about 70 bucks a share from when I bought it. <laughs> so they were doomed the minute I bought the shares. Oh, no. Zoom was doomed. So anybody got Zoom, you better sell quickly. Um, so I have a birth story before you move on. Yeah. I know we have a lot to talk about. We can we can go over today, too. I mean, there's we don't have a Dr. Stu one-hour time limit either. You know? Yeah. We can do whatever we want. We can. Whatever we want. <laughs> Sassy yeah. shake. Screw huh? you guys. I'm going home. <laughs> what movie is that? From? That's a that's a South Park reference. Oh. No, no, no. Um, so it was one of those first that we talked about, like, oh, well, she had a baby. That's what happened. The end. That's the first story. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it was so, you know, like perfect. perfect. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting. I I do those Zoom calls for my clients that I started during COVID and I asked her if she wanted to come on today and tell her birth story. So I got to hear a lot from her own perspective of what was going on in her brain, but she was a first time mom and she had been having some contractions. Um, but we went to bed that night and I was texting her doula. I'm like, what do you think? Anything? And she's like, no, I haven't really heard much from her. So I went to bed, like, maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't that kind of feeling. And I get a text at six o'clock in the morning from her doula saying she had been there since three 30 and her contractions were, I think she said, four to five minutes apart. Um, but she started to feel like she might need to poop, might need to push. And I was like, first time mom, no bloody show contractions, four to five minutes apart. I'm like, "Mm, 
a little, I'm a little dubious, right? So I said, why don't you change her position, maybe get her in the shower or something and let me know if it's still happening. And so a few minutes later, she's like, yep. She says she's still feeling it. And I was like, okay, I'll come over. And she says she, she wants you here. I said, okay, great. I'm on my way. So I, um, I'm heading over and, you know, I didn't rush cause it's not a primat, but you know, I was there within 40 minutes, I think. And I walk in, I'm getting my stuff out of the car. I walk in and the doula opens the door and she's like, they just got out of the shower. She's definitely pushing. And I can see the head starting to come down. I was like, oh, that would have been nice to have gotten like a little update. Well, you couldn't drive any faster, could you? Maybe, <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe I wouldn't have been like at my car, like leisurely getting my stuff you know what out. Happened? But no assistant on the way. We always say that it's, ha- it's supposed to happen like it's supposed to happen. Yes, I know. But it was one of those things I said, I looked at her and I was like, I wish you had like given me an update. She said, literally they were in the shower, her and her partner getting romantic. They came out and she could see the baby's head. What a blessing. Right. And so, um, she said that she just kind of like kept relating to it as if it was cramps. And we tell people that, like, put it in the background, like, don't hyper-focus on it. And she just had such a great experience. So we got her in the tub um, and she, her husband caught and she was intact. I didn't need to give her any medications. I didn't need to like. Didn't even have to unpack your stuff. No. (laughs) Which is great. (laughs) I mean, I have my emergency kit that I've talked about before that I always bring in, but yeah, I mean, it was just one of those beautiful births and she's having a great postpartum. I mean, it's just. It's been really lovely. And this was a, a mom who. I hope that of- the remaining births that you have are all like that. Because you deserve it. You deserve to have this. Don't need, you don't need an added like dramatic birth to, <laughs> Ending. to close out. No, I don't. California. Little babies that right. are left. Right. Three babies left. And I'm doing the countdown. Well, only three? Uh-huh. I thought you had like eight. They delivered. Wow, you must have had five or so in the last week or two. <laughs> maybe. I thought you had like eight or ten left. So that was maybe that was a few podcasts. Yeah, ago. no. Um, three left. And um, each one of the stories that I've been telling on Instagram have been very unique, which has been fun to like see that. Yeah, you, know, you do really nice posts. That birth uh, on, is so different. You should check out Bliss's Instagram feed if you're not subscribed to her. She wants to uh overpass she wants to pass me over and wouldn't that be followers. fun hmm. <laughs> <laughs> be fun if i surpassed you i don't think it'll happen though but anyways that was that no it'd be great if we both if we both grew not that i don't want i don't even know what it means i think when you reach ten thousand, you get you get to, a, an extra you get to flip something extra yeah these get to swipe up which i don't even know what that means i don't either. even know what that means either. we don't really care honestly we're old people we don't really care that much about followers but if it helps us get our mission out and helps us um, make a bigger impact on the planet, that's what we're up for. So just so you know. Okay. So okay. Um, let's get started because if we have time at the end, we'll do our dumb doctor dogma and we'll do your midwife wisdom. I'm sure we'll get that in. I have a really short dumb doctor dogma today, mm-hmm. but I also, um, so what happened was, is I got asked not as a speaker, but just as an attendee to come to a conference on healthy immunity with some speakers and people that I really, really respect, including uh, Jennifer Margulis and also Bob Sears, people in Southern California know who Bob is. Paul Thomas, most people around the country know who he is. He's a pediatrician from Oregon. Mm -hmm. And there was a pediatrician from back East named Elizabeth Mumper and a PhD named Brian Hooker, who was actually instrumental in getting some of the CDC data out from the whistleblower stuff with regarding the MMR vaccine and the whole effect on 
on children with autism, especially in little black babies, mm, mm-hmm. boys. Mm-hmm. And then Jill Grunewald was there, and she is a M- FMCHC who um, does nutritional work and uh, wrote a book about treating hypothi- or treating the thyroid diseases with non-medical ways of doing it. So I got, I bought a copy of her book. I bought a copy of Jennifer and and um, Paul's book called The Vaccine Friendly Plan. And and so they did that together. Yes. And then um, the other woman's book about is, is a, thyroid. Yeah, it's about uh, uh, treating the thyroid naturally. Is that what it's called? No. Oh. I don't remember the title. Oh, darn. We'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> yes, we will. Because yeah. that, and then I also bought uh, Jennifer's other book, The Business of Baby. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when I had her sign the book, yeah. she says, you know, you're in this book. I go, <laughs> I go, oh, God, yeah, I forgot. So, so she looked at the index and I'm like the most quoted person on the index just about. That's pretty cool. I know. I got, I'm in like seven or eight different places in the book. So it's called The Business of Baby. You should buy it just so you can read Dr. Stu quotes. <laughs> um, and then Monica Berger, who's a, a chiropractor who started out the conference um, talking again about healthy living and healthy immunity and things. And it wasn't all about the vaccines. It was also about a lot of other things that we're doing. And I'm going to try to go through it because I think you'll find it really interesting. Um, I did this once before when I attended the PIC, Physicians for Informed Consent meeting a few years ago. I wrote a blog on it, and I also did a podcast on it. You guys can look back and find that one. I'm not sure what number that is, but you'll find it. Um, on the plane flying there, however, uh, we had to stop in San Francisco to change planes. But on the plane flying there, they, they gave the announcement that they're giving now where they stand up front with the seatbelts and all that stuff. But they also say now that you must wear your mask. It's a federal law. And like, I thought about that the whole time I was in and I asked the people at the conference, is it really a federal law? And we all decided, no, it's not a federal law. It's a federal regulation or a federal mandate, but it's not a law. A law is something that's proposed by Congress, goes through committee, passes both houses of Congress, goes to the president's desk, the president signs it. That's a law. Okay. Everything else is regulation made by unelected bureaucrats. Mm -hmm. So on the way back, I flew Alaska Airlines on the way back. They gave the same announcement. The pilot even gave the announcement about its federal law. So when the stewardess was serving, I just said, can I say something to you for a minute? And she said, sure. You know, and I'm not wearing my mask because I'm eating and she's got her mask on. And I said, just want you to know that when you give that announcement, you're saying it's a federal law. But it's not. She goes, it's not. I go, no, it's not. You guys are misstating the fact. I don't know that your that corporate will ever change it, but it's just one of these little things that makes everything seem more severe and more heavy than it is. This is is a regulatory body that made this rule. I don't know if it's the FAA or the CDC Mm -hmm. or something. These are not elected people. These are unelected people making rules that we are supposed to to live by, Mm -hmm. that we we have permission to live by. Yeah. My my student today showed me a, remember the old game where you spin the thing and it says, what does the dog say? What does the sheep say? What does the cow say? Yeah. So (laughs) you spin it to what does the sheep say? And it says, the the sheep says, the government is now allowing uh, guarantees or promises we'll get our rights back as soon as the pandemic is over. <laughs> so, that was pretty funny. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So first I want to, I want to, I got an email from um, Amy in Tennessee, which was, which I thought was a good segue into the um, topic today. So dear Dr. Stu and bliss, I hope this email finds you well. I'm an avid listener and enjoyed catching up on all of your podcasts over the last year. I'm a home birth mother of one and now have number two on the way. Of course, planning another home birth. 
you and Bliss have taught me so much about what to expect out of my prenatal and child delivery care providers. I secretly hope that one day I will have a breech baby <laughs> so that I can advocate for myself and have a vaginal breech delivery. Maybe with Dr. Boots Taylor, I'm only two hours out of Atlanta. Wow. Now, this was April. She sent this on April 26th. Brad has not been delivering right now. So I don't exactly. I hope that Brad gets back into it because it's a we shame. Need him. What? We need him. Yes. It's a shame with somebody with his skill. I wanted to bring this intensely pertinent quote to your attention. You quoted an article in episode 154 in which you and Bliss were discussing parental rights with regards to vaccination, which of course has come to the forefront of the conversation again in the light of COVID. I'm not sure who the author of the following paragraph was. It was hard to make out the name from the podcast audio, but you did mention that he was married to Kelly Brogan. I transcribed the following paragraph for you to reread. <laughs> the man's name is Sayer G. Some of you may know who Sayer G is. That's J-I is his last name. And he's, he's got a, a wide following, he's a very health-oriented guy. You can look him up. Maybe we'll connect him in the show notes as well. It's called A Reflection on Vaccination and Post-Germ Theory. And this is from September of 2019. So We've this, been talking about this for a long time, by the way, but yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, we did read it again. I mean, we read it once before, but I think mm-hmm. it's, this was before anything, and even a whisper of the, um, of the uh, COVID vaccine out of. I know, but in California, we've been talking about vaccinations and all of that stuff for years and have been saying it's a slippery slope. We should be really careful. And here we are. And here we go. Mm-hmm. What are viruses but invisible particles? As such, anyone who claims to know their whereabouts and the potential for harm becomes the arbiter of the ultimate truth, and in practical terms can direct others to do their bidding, including invading and occupying sovereign states under global health security auspices, as the U.S. and U.N. have done with Ebola outbreaks, especially where there exists a deadly invisible particle neutralizer, i.e. a vaccine. The very existence of such a magical device implies that not using it would be unethical. What does this tie into the journal article I'm going to go through? (laughs) Or worse, criminal. In fact, so important and necessary would be this viral neutralizer that it should be mandated. Otherwise, certain death would ensue. Hence goes the make-believe narrative presently hoisted upon billions globally. This was September of 2019. (laughs) Another thing about this magical device called a vaccine, when applied preemptively against said invisible particle, is proven effective due to a subsequent non-event. So in other words, you give people a vaccine and nothing bad happens, and then you can just say, hey, it was the vaccine. But maybe nothing bad would have happened anyway. She says, that quote effectively blew my mind as regards to what we are seeing with the immense power struggle between almost all of the human race and this minute number of people who essentially run the modern world. All this power is is hinging on a vaccine which is loudly proclaimed to be safe and effective an incredibly powerful piece of propaganda. I'm afraid to see the day where I can't go to my local grocery store, buy gas for my car, or purchase first aid products for my children because I don't have a valid vaccination card. I would love to hear your thoughts on this quote again in an upcoming podcast. Stay sane out there on the West Coast. Stay sane. I like it. Stay sane. It's much better. Staying safe is, like I don't like when people say that, so. I don't either, actually. I want to live. Yep. Sorry, people. Okay, so let's get into uh, the Healthy Immunity 2021 conference. And uh, the first speaker was in, uh, Monica Berger, and that's spelled B-U-E-R-G-E-R, and she's a chiropractor. And she talked about prenatal stress and the neuroimmune endocrine system. Mm-hmm. Prenatal stress is the neurobiology of disease, 
And in the first 1,000 days of your life, it's hard to undo what occurs here, all right? And uh, so she says the vagus nerve is the anti-inflammatory arm of the nervous system. It puts brakes on inflammation. And this area matures in the second and third trimester of pregnancy. The Wall Street Journal uh, on April 22nd of 21 had an article on the COVID vaccine in the third trimester that says the CDC says it's safe. Mm -hmm. Okay. Printed out the link to that. I'll put that on the show notes as well. All right. But she said that there's this shift that goes on prenatally with when you're in constant fight or flight response, as that a mother would be in a sense uh, at a time when there's fear surrounding you and everything that you do, that shift eventually becomes set. And it leads to illness, chronic stress, chronic inflammation, antibiotic treatment affects the gut microbiome and leads to nutritional deficiencies. Okay. Starting, it all starts. It all starts in, it all starts in utero. And it, because of the epigenetics, it is actually something that these babies that are being born now will be, will pass on whatever it is that they've, that's been wired in them very likely will pass that on to the next generation. So the damage that we're doing them now with all this anxiety, all this fear in, in resetting your vagal nerve system, your autonomic nervous system, which is again, controls your immune system, the neural and immune uh, functions of your body are, are interrelated. They can't be separated. Okay. So moms and babies tend to sync up as we know. Yeah. We know that. Okay. So maternal stress equals fetal problems. Okay. As little as two hours of stress in any human being can change your, your maternal, can change the maternal gut microbiome. Yeah. Which alters your infant microbiome when they're born. And 80% of your immunity arises from where? From your gut. Right. We've, See, learned, you, we've learned in recent times. Yeah, you know this stuff. Yeah. See, she's nodding. <laughs> you can't hear my nod. And what does the gut affect? The gut affects your brain. Yeah, it's all connected. Right. So your frontal brain is important for normal function and reception of stimuli. Um, so stress is, again, uh, there's a study for, called the Cherry Blossom Study, which is a small study, and I looked it up. Not a very big study, but it says stress is passed on generationally. This is, a, this is very similar to what they're discovering about why um, black and brown bodies are more susceptible to having issues in pregnancy. There's other things because too, of, the systemic racism and all of that, but because of the stress, the epigenetics that's passed on right. in utero. Yes. Right. Yes. Just from the lifestyle, from the fear. Yeah. yeah. Well, from, you know, from, all of it. from Africa to slavery to all that stuff, there is probably some of that, you know, passed down. I mean, a lot of, well, right. a lot of it, we could go into that. Yeah, no, no, I don't want to because like, we yes. don't have time, but, yes. but she goes on to say that prenatal external stressors like a Holocaust. Yep. Whether um, like hurricanes, mm-hmm. earthquakes, floods, 9-11, yeah. and now COVID, all right? These stresses are, what are we doing to the future generation? Found, they found that pregnant moms in the second, third trimester, that their offspring were more predisposed to depression and post-traumatic stress disorder. When, when they've they experienced an external, uh-huh. a, a, a major external stress. Got it. Not yelling at your partner, not, you know, uh, Missing the bus. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And we have a pending disaster in the coming years from the lockdown stress. 
So it's not the coronavirus that's the pro- that's going to cause the problem in the future. As we've said many times, and I'm just one of thousands of people. I, I you know personally, I believe there's probably more people who think like we do than that think the other way. But they were just, we're just separate and stifled. Well, especially stifled. Yeah. I think a lot of people are afraid to talk right. about it. Because I think that the lockdown is going to have consequences for generations. Oh, 100%. Right. And we're not even, I'm not even getting into the thing about babies and children wearing masks all the time and not seeing faces and, and you know, the, the, whether or not the carbon dioxide bill or their hypoxia or the, but there's more stuff to come. So I, I, won't, I don't want to get off track because I'll, I could wander off track. Okay. Um, we, we've seen that there was about uh, with with well, this is I think this is the mothers, but before the pandemic, about twenty nine percent of mothers said that they had anxiety during their pregnancy, and now it's seventy two percent. Yeah, and sixty five. There's been a sixty five percent decrease in exercise. I don't know how they measure these things. <laughs> so, <laughs> as you know, I'm always skeptical of numbers and stuff like that. But I think that the trends are probably true. I don't know if the numbers are exactly true. So there's no consideration of the long-term effects when they say there's no ill effects from right. all the things that are going on. Mm-hmm. That's when we talked about in crap. one of the previous podcasts about, you know, the morbidity that we talk about that's so terrible here in our country. We're not even really distinguishing it as the mental health aspect. You know, that that doesn't necessarily get considered in these statistics. And it's why would it be less important? And I love that you're tying it you know, scientifically to our actual overall health. I'm trying. I'm trying to do it. I've got I've got a lot of papers here. So I've got I've got to um, go into next in, is Paul Thomas's talk. And Paul Thomas's talk, essentially every slide he put up there was a lecture in and of itself. And people really need to check out his paper. He, he, he did a paper which is called. Well, I'll put it in the show notes, but he did a paper that came out in November of last year where he compared vaccinated to unvaccinated kids. Oh, yeah. We talked about it. Right. Mm -hmm. And shortly thereafter, they took his license. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Uh, So anyway, he says that by every measure that you can come up with, unvaccinated kids are healthier than vaccinated kids. And for that, you lose your license. So I'm expecting a knock on the door. Does he get, are you going to talk about some specifics that yes. he mentions? Yes, Great. I am going to go talk about awesome. specifics. Okay. But he says, you know, that, that um, he, he, got, he talks about the PCR testing mm-hmm. and he talks about the flaws in the PCR testing because it was never, never supposed to be used for clinical diagnosis. It was never supposed to be used in the way it's being used now. And yet they go to the, like the 40th iteration, or I'm not sure what the numbers are, but they have to like 40th dilution or something like that in order to get positives. And you really shouldn't have to go past like the 13th or 16th. So when they get, when it gets that low, that's picking up all kinds of things. You're getting all kinds of false positives. The numbers that are being put out there about the number of cases based on PCR testing that goes that, that, that many dilutions is, is incorrect. It's just not correct data. He, not said, sensitive he says there's a website called vaccinefacts.info that you could go to. There's a quiz that you can, you can take there and then they can give you answers to all the questions that they, they ask. It's sort of a, a very simple quiz because it, it's questions that, that you're being told are, are all true or all false. And that's actually the opposite of everything that you're being told. Um, I have it in here someplace, hang on a second. So like they'll say, true or false, the safety and efficacy of vaccines has been unequivocally proven. Yeah. The CDC regularly carries out vaccine safety studies, true or false. 
false. Right. But you're told that it's safe. Mm -hmm. Vaccine science is openly presented and discussed through free exchanges in scientific journals and internet platforms. <laughs> the U.S. childhood vaccination schedule has been tested against inert placebos and the safety of its combination of vaccines well established over sufficient time periods. True or false? false. Yeah, of course. And on and on it goes. So Paul says uh, that 5.4% of American children are chronically ill. 54. Oh, sorry. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your eyesight. <laughs> Yeah, 54% of Americans, yeah, that sounds more, more reasonable, yeah. I apologize for that. 54%, it's small print, and I left my glasses in the car, <laughs> uh, are chronically ill. 13% of America's children are in special ed. One in six children has a developmental disorder. Uh, almost 11% have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Uh, 15,000 or more children were diagnosed with cancer this year alone. One in 59 has autism. Uh, there's an epidemic of autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis and psoriasis going on in kids and children and, and growing on into adults. Still other children suffer from debilitating anxiety, Tourette's and sensory issues. Uh, infant mortality in America is much higher than in other income, higher income countries, while infants receive more vaccines in their first year of life here than anywhere else in the world. Mm. Now, again, correlation does not equal causation, but, you know, to, to just dismiss this stuff as being perfectly safe or even marginally safe is, is, is crazy. Um, so I just took these pictures for, you know, for myself, which just basically shows the the um, ADHD, when you look at over, over time and you look at um, the vaccinated versus unvaccinated kids. So that's ADHD. Here's, here's one on chronic, can you read that? Oh, chronic conditions. 42%. Mm -hmm, um, what's this one say? 60%. Oh, chronic conditions in, what's that Adults one? compared to? Nothing, almost nothing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So that again, the vaccinated is in orange, unvaccinated in green. Um, so it's, I'm just saying that the, the, it's it's so remarkable that ignoring it is just it just seems so insane to ignore this kind of stuff and to suppress this information and to just say we need to put you know your kids can't do this or can't do that without being on the vaccine schedule. The the Dr. Pans of the world, hopefully someday will find their place in hell. Oh. What? That's a strong statement. I think it's 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 deserved because he knows. Dr. Pan is a is a senate is a state senator here in California, and he's been um, keen on getting um, the getting rid of vaccine exemptions and mandates and getting mandates here in California. Mm -hmm. And he knows this information. He knows it, and he doesn't care because he thinks and he speaks with such certainty that it that it's safe. And anybody who says otherwise. Is wrong. I hate. I despise people like that. There's so much when it's unknown. All right. So what can we do to boost our immune systems? We can support vaginal births. We because can of the biome. We can support breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. Don't give Tylenol ever to kids. Yep. Do you know why? Well, besides the liver, what else? Because it suppresses your immune system. Your immune system is intended to fight go. what's happening. So your fever, the fever is burning off the, the infection yep. that's happening in the body. So yep. you're, you're 
you're dampening the immune system. Right. But, but we also, we also do give like baby aspirin or, or baby Advil sometimes to bring temperatures down. Doc, uh, Dr. Jen Margulis, Dr. Margulis talks about the fact that maybe illness, some illnesses are good. And mm -hmm. I'll, she, I'll tell you briefly why that is too. Mm -hmm. um, Reduce the use of antibiotics. Yep. Judicious use of, just uh, judicious use of vaccines. Mm -hmm. Like no hepatitis B at birth and only one aluminum containing shot at a time. All right. At the 18 month visit, you get six vaccines. Okay. And, that and, and, and don't give MMR until after they're three years old. Because the, their system can't handle it. And especially in little black baby boys. Mm -hmm. Okay. We, the, I mean, there's data out of the CDC that's been suppressed and there was a whistle, there were whistleblowers. All right. That uh, a guy named Thompson uh, came out of them, and you know he's kind of just disappeared, you know, from the face of the earth. He's got some cushy job now, but he came out initially and and uh, blew the whistle on some of the suppression of data at the CDC. Mm -hmm. um, eating whole, real, fresh foods, filtering toxicants out of the water, plenty of exercise, plenty of sunshine, and supplemental vitamin D, plenty of laughter, plenty of love. Plenty of gratitude and recognition of a higher power, however you want to call it, love, God, Gaia, energy, whatever you want to call it, but, but surrendering and, and being kind. Yeah. Yeah. Makes me, it reminds me of when, I mean, not to say that my kids aren't kind, but um, when my, my kids and my best friend got sick from COVID and we didn't. My other friend and I who walk all the time and have been doing immunity and eating well and focusing on all of those things that you're talking about during the pandemic. We just, I was like, I'm not staying inside. I'm just not going to do it. And so we walked, we walked a ton during that time. Did and you wear masks? Not on our walks outside. Right. Only when we go in the grocery even, store. Even way back like when. We, you no, and, I I never did, did. and I never did either. And right. I didn't get sick. So it's just interesting. Uh, okay. So just, and he's got a great book. Like I said before, you, people who are curious about vaccinating their children and stuff like that, they're labeled, it's a pejorative term. It's a euphemism. They're labeled anti-vaxxers. It's a terrible term. Um, and, and how do you label somebody who wrote a book called the vaccine friendly plan as an anti-vaxxer, <laughs> but they do mm -hmm. because it's, it's a way of dismissing anything that they say. Right. Right. So they, they use that term anti, you know, you're anti-science. Uh, no, anybody who says that somebody else is anti-science is anti-science because science is always the study of things that are changing and hypotheses and testing them and defending your positions, not suppressing thoughts of the people that you are uh, disagreeing with, mm -hmm. right? It's one of those simple rules in life if you're confident in your position, you don't need to suppress anything. So whenever somebody is suppressing you or whenever somebody is censoring you, it tells you that they are weak, that they don't have any a ground to stand on, all right? There's, you don't need to fear if you're on solid ground or if you, if you feel like you defend your position. And in science, that's what you should do. You need to defend your theses. That's the whole basis of science, mm -hmm. not shut the other side up. You mean like when they burned the witches? Like when they burned the witches, right? Yeah, the healers, the midwives, they were afraid, afraid of our power. Mm -hmm. Right, and they're, they're, yeah, I mean, it's in so many things. I mean, it's just, it's just, it, it, look at, 
I'm a believer that the earth is round. Mm-hmm. Do I need to censor flat earthers? <laughs> no. We just go, okay. No, we'll, we can discuss it. And yeah. you can prove, you can try to give me your proof that the earth is flat. And I'll show you mine that the earth is round. And then we'll, uh, we'll go have a beer. <laughs> That's what we do. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. The next speaker was uh, Dr. Liz Mumper. She's a pediatrician over 40 years in the Blue Ridge Mountains. So um, that's kind of cool. And um, she, she, was, she talked about uh, children and, that, and children and masking and that there's no data to support yeah. masking in children. And she said it's bad in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Her work was inspired by the many families that she has cared for whose children have regressed after vaccination. And she told some very sad anecdotal stories about some of her clients. Um, Can you give examples of regression without telling me to tell the whole story? Just some examples. Yeah, the kids were kids were developing their milestones were perfectly normal. At 18 months, they got vaccinated, and like two days later, they were never the same. They regressed. They were they had multiple words they were speaking, and then they weren't speaking them anymore. Yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So she also talks about immune resilience and uh, optimum optimum vitamin D levels, generous vitamin C, zinc, and selenium, omega three. I mean, the conference was about not just bashing the bashers, okay? Because there wasn't a lot of that going on. It was really about how we can make a difference, at least for the people that we care for, the people that were attending there. Mm-hmm. And there were a few, there were physicians there, there were midwives there, there were healthcare workers there, there were just parents of the community there. It was a really nice mix of people. She also says, spend time in nature, avoid pro-inflammatory foods, especially sugar and processed foods. Um, stress management, and being and find supportive relationships, which right? leads to laughter and joy and all those other and things. yeah and oxytocin release and all those things and it doesn't not necessarily romantic relationships it's just share you know if you're constantly under fire if you're constantly if we were doing a podcast every single day uh, you know well actually I find podcasting venting for me or or yeah. way, way to get rid of stuff. But it also, when I'm prepping for this, it also it gets me really wound up. Mm-hmm. And I have my ways of getting rid of that by getting outside, getting up to the horses and stuff. Yeah. So, so um, a good way for people who don't know what processed food is, a good way of being able to determine whether or not it's processed is if you can recognize it for what it, it was from the earth. And it's unprocessed. So a banana, an orange, like meat sometimes is a little, but you know it's meat. It's not like a chicken nugget. Right? Yeah. Well, and, and the, <laughs> and the, and the of labeling meat. of food is misleading because there are certain things in foods that they don't have to label that, that it's in your food. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, always, it's, it's hard. And, and even when you buy organic, she said something, I think it was her that said something really funny. I think she said, one of the speakers said that, um, you know, if, if the, if the, Guy on the farm next to you uses Roundup, right? And you're an organic farmer. Mm-hmm. The insects don't know boundaries. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so the flies don't just stop at the boundary line and say, "Oh, this is a, this is organic farm." Let's not go there. Mm-hmm. The bees and the and all the other butterflies and all that stuff. So they're carrying stuff across. So you really actually don't know. You can only do the best that you can do. Right. And, right. and there's lots of environmental things that we can't control. Um, and we do. We just have to do the best we can do. Okay, she talks about hepatitis B vaccine at birth. And she says, do not recommend because baby does not need it. It's like pretty straightforward. Right. Why would your baby need a hepatitis B vaccine unless you or one of your baby's caregivers has active hepatitis? hepatitis. Active hepatitis. Mm -hmm. Right. Or you're shedding 
or you're infectious, right? So one of the premises of our profession is primum non nocere, which is Latin for first do no harm. Mm -hmm. Why are we giving newborn babies vaccine, uh, hepatitis vaccine? And we need, and one of the themes at the um, at the conference was we can no longer be the silent majority or anything like that. When people confront you about why you're not wearing a mask, you need to confront them back with just as harsh or maybe even harsher terms of why are you that sort of thing. Or if they're saying that you know you know why are you not vaccinating your kid? And it's well, why are you? And 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 put them on the defensive. Ask them a question. Don't don't accuse them of anything. Don't you when you when you talk to somebody who is who disagrees with you, it's always best to ask them a question like, why do you think it's important that your kid get all these vaccines? All right. That puts them in a position where they sort of have to answer the question as opposed to saying, well, getting vaccines is is dangerous. And then they can they can just get their dander up and come back at you. Okay. So um, she analyzed the hepatitis B given at birth uh, in versus three-year-olds, which were, uh, who didn't get it. And they said that the ones given hepatitis B at birth had more colic, more difficulty establishing breastfeeding and more reflux. Hmm. Yeah, these are, this is her observations, her data. Um, does it make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Because you're, you're giving something that's got, foreign substances in it. It's got aluminum in it, the hepatitis vaccine, and it's got all kinds of other stuff in it. And you're giving it for no reason to a newborn baby who, who has never been exposed to any of these things before. Newborn. Yeah. They're like so new. Yeah. Just seems crazy. To me. Right. Oh, by the way, she said there's a big case coming up on May 5th, which this will be, we're, we're recording this before May 5th, but there will be, this will be after May 5th about Facebook censorship going on. So there's, I think we should be paying attention to that. And we need to, again, we need to, we need to speak out. We can't be afraid anymore. You know, some people are going to lose their jobs. Some people are going to lose their friends. It's just, it's going to have to happen. But if we don't, then it, it isn't suddenly going to miraculously come back. It's not going to be like the sheep who say, um, you know, when this is all over, the government will give us our rights back. Mm -hmm. uh, no, they won't. No, they won't. Okay. Let's see. She says, that the parental stress affects parental effectiveness. Uh, one, of the, one of the problems we have with being locked in, in, uh, at home is that we have 24-hour access to food. When you used to go to work or go to the office, mm -hmm. you had a lunch break. Mm -hmm. Now you have a permanent lunch break because your refrigerator is just down the hall. So people are eating more. They're eating more. They're spending more time on the screen. They're getting less exercise. Mm -hmm. Their lack of social relationships and social interactions. All these things are contributing. To uh, and it's it's not the COVID that's doing this; it's the lockdown that's doing this. Right. So the real COVID risk factors are is not the virus; it's the microbiome stress, obesity, loss of biodiversity, uh, chemicals like glycophosphate that's in Roundup, uh, vitamin D deficiency, chronic disease, the flu vaccine, depression, fear, isolation, high ACE, high ACE one and uh, inhibitors, and statin use. I mean, internists give out statin like like uh, Santa gives out gifts um, to for people that might have high blood pressure or cholesterol mm -hmm. issues. Mm -hmm. All right, you can lower your cholesterol just by eating healthier and losing some weight and getting out and being active. Yeah, but people want a, a, a magic pill. That's what this. It's the mentality. You know why? My friend. And it's not I, easy. No, it's not. My friend and I that walked all the time. I. I um, 
a podcast that we listened to, he said, you know, what was so interesting is that one day the government said, and this is someone who's from England, it's not even just here in America. Um, one day the government said, go in your houses and, and don't come out. And we did. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's kind of miraculous, but we were, we were susceptible to that because of all of the things like social media and these sound bites. And, you know, it, it goes back, 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 back. It's not just something that's all of a sudden happening. It's because we were primed to be fearful and to want a magic pill. Right. And they lied to us from the very beginning saying it was going to be for two weeks. Mm -hmm. As soon as this started, I, I, I'm telling you, I wish I had written the diary. Yeah, never, I saw the whole thing. I saw it all coming. It, all of it. People saw it. Yeah. A lot of people saw it coming from years before yeah. because you've just, you've just seen it coming. You never just didn't think it would come this quickly. Maybe. Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. It was the virus itself that, you know, was like the, well, it wasn't, the it, it wasn't even the virus itself. Know. It was, it was the media and the, and the government agency's reaction the virus is this virus really that much worse than any other virus that's come along in mankind i mean remember the um the quote i or the little essay i wrote from uh, c.s lewis mm -hmm. right about living in the atomic age mm -hmm. and how we're all going to die but we might as well die doing things that that matter yeah not letting our loved ones die alone in a nursing home someplace right not being able to hug the family of people and having virtual fu funerals yeah right it's awful um, she gave a, a quote, which I like. She said, um, nature is smarter than doctors or the chairman of Moderna. <laughs> and children will heal well if we get out of their way. Yeah. So we need to get out of their way. Okay. So um, the next speaker was Brian Hooker. And I'm just going to say a couple words about him. Uh, he's involved. He's been in his whole life has been contributed to or uh, involved in vaccine safety and science. Uh, sorting out truth from lies. And um, you do your own research, he says, but there has been terrible fraud and corruption at the CDC. And there's a place called fearlessparent.org. And at that website, you can find transcripts of the phone calls that he recorded from William Thompson, the CDC whistleblower. So this is the guy, Dr. Uh, Dr. Hooker is the guy that had conversations with somebody at the CDC because his own child was vaccine injured. Mm. And he spent his life. Hooker or Brian Hooker. Uh huh. He spent his life like a like a uh, hound dog, mm -hmm. just never never stop sniffing and never giving up, trying to find out what's going on. And he was the one that spilled this stuff. But all that information still been suppressed. And the CDC should have no reputation at all. And yet, everybody's saying, "Well, what is, you know, we got to follow the CDC guidelines." Mm -hmm. Why are we following the CDC guidelines? They lied to us. They, they, they've injured so many children by not telling us the truth. Um, yeah. So um, he says masks increase in bacterial and fun fungal respiratory infections when you wear masks. Mm -hmm. They did a, a, a study where they found that the people who had to wear a mask for two hours or more, uh, almost half of them would grow out staph aureus out of their mask. Wow. And then you're wearing it for eight hours at work. You know, maybe some people take masks and throw them out and, and get new ones, or but you can't really wash them while you're at work. Yeah. So after I mean, two hours. After, yeah. yeah. I was I was watching this thing of a woman who was appealing to you know a, a school board or something, and she was talking about the kids wearing masks, which the other um, pediatrician was talking about, and she said they're going to be going into the bathrooms with their masks on 
And then we know about what happens in the bathrooms. When you flush the toilet, everybody knows you should cover your toothbrushes because of, of the little particles that fly around. Now these kids are carrying those, those particles inside of their masks. And I thought, wait a minute, mm -hmm. sometimes I wear a mask in the bathroom, you know, like in a public bathroom. So I was like, I need to stop doing that. I'm not going to do that. So, <laughs> it, 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 the whole thing is stupid. And yet, and yet, even though people, most people know it's stupid and doesn't make sense, they still are afraid to not follow the rules. Afraid, a fear is the, is you keep unpeeling and going down lower and lower and lower. It's the systemic fear. And then, and then like people, leaders of corporations and stuff like that, who follow these things, they do so because their risk management lawyers and stuff tell them to do it. Yeah. Because they don't have any, there's no courage, there's no courageousness. There's no bravery Right. to stand up and say, you know what, you can come to work today. And you don't need a mask. If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask, but you don't need to wear a mask. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, Got to move on. Yeah. So um, Jill Grunewald, the, the, the woman who wrote the book on the thyroid and alopecia and Hashimoto's, that sort of thing. Um, the, the biggest take home message I got from her was a lot of stuff, but she gave what's called a dirty dozen list. There's a, there's a dirty dozen things that the fruits and veggies with most pesticide residues. And there's a clean 15 list with the fruits and veggies with the least pesticide residues. So I'm just going to read the dirty dozen list and I'll let you read the, um, Sure. The clean list. The dirty dozen list are strawberries, spinach, kale, nectarines, apples, grapes, peaches, cherries, pears, tomatoes, celery, potatoes. Now, she's not saying don't eat these things, but she's saying that these are the kind of things that have the most pesticides on them. So um, if you buy organic, that's supposedly without pesticides, right? Without pesticides and without certain fertilizers, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So these are the foods that if you're going to buy them, these are the ones you should specifically look for organic. Again, strawberries, spinach and kale, nectarines, apples, things that you tend to have to wash off their skin. Or if you can't get organic, then buy something different. Don't buy those. Don't buy those. Yeah. All right. And the, uh, the uh, clean, clean 15. 15 list are avocados, corn, pineapple, onions, papaya, Sweet peas, eggplant, asparagus, cauliflower, cantaloupes, broccoli, mushroom, cabbage, honeydew, and kiwi. And most of those things are, again, you have to peel something off to eat it. Most of them, or they have a thick skin. Yeah. Or something. Broccoli, not. No, and broccoli and asparagus, you mm -hmm. eat the whole thing. But I'm just saying that, yeah. that, you know, a lot of those things, they seem to be like protected. They have a skin. So yeah, I just remember when, in, when I was traveling in my younger days, I went to, to Southeast Asia and I traveled backpacking and um, I would always eat things with a peel or things with a shell. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a lot of hard boiled eggs in, in Southeast Asia because I, you know, I figured that that got to be safer. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, Bob Sears then spoke and Bob Sears is, um, as every, uh, many people know him, he's a local pediatrician here. He wrote a book also uh, on vaccines. Uh, I forgot the name of his book too, but you can just look him up. Um, and he had observations of vaccinated kids and he just sat and talked without slides. He just gave us a, a talk. It was really impressive. And he talked about the risks of vaccination and there's 69 doses in the California current schedule. 69. Sometimes nothing happens, but what are the benefits of not vaccinating? And then he talked about how to become an ambassador of not vaccinating when so many around you perceive you as dangerous and crazy. Okay. Passion is not speaking to other medical professionals, but in speaking to parents to get them undoctored informed consent was what he said. How to speak to others to get this knowledge to spread. Why label kids as unvaccinated? Should we label kids as vaccinated since the natural state of babies is to be born pure and unvaccinated? 
So why are we calling kids that unvaccinated the odd ones? Why don't we start calling the vaccinated kids the odd ones? Not that you want to label anybody odd, but mm-hmm. but we need to we need to take their own language and turn it against them. Slant it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the media and the pharmaceutical companies have reversed the labeling. You know, first, when you talk to these people about who, who disagree with you, talk about their lifestyle, filtered water, foods, organic, you know, make a connection. A lot of these people who are getting their kids vaccinated are doing all these other things. Mm-hmm. And so there's this sort of disconnect. It's kind of like the people who we talk about who are, get upset if their secondhand smoke is blown upon them or won't eat any certain things in pregnancy, but are lining up to get the coronavirus vaccine in, in pregnancy. Um, the shot. The shot, the jab. <laughs> Uh, if you can achieve that, uh, then uh, that connection, then first, first, then a discussion of vaccines later might be better received. My thought was uh, uh, comparing, you know, he said that there's a big difference that he sees. And, you know, it's interesting. He saw a set of twins for me recently. And, and so when I went up to him at the conference and we, we chatted for a while, and he said, oh, yeah, the twins, blah, blah, blah. He says, you know, oh, they're home birth. Yeah, that's great. My home birth kids are all healthy. And I didn't, I didn't prompt him or anything. He just spewed that out there. Mm-hmm. So. My thought was to, when you compare unvaccinated to vaccinated kids is like when I when I compare kids who've been homeschooled to kids who've gone to public school, I find the homeschool kids to be smarter and more mature, uh, better equipped to deal with problems, easier to talk to as far as being able to communicate to a grown up. Mm-hmm. All right. There's a big difference in that or home birth babies being healthier than hospital birth ones, as Dr. Sears said. So it's he's been a, a pediatrician in San Diego, right? I think, yeah, I think Orange he's in, County? I think he's in Orange County. And for how long? 40 years? Something no, like well, not Bob. Bob, is his, his father has been around for a long time. Oh, but, uh-huh. Right. Bob has probably been around for 30 years. He says he can, when, when suddenly, when he has to run, prescribe antibiotics to somebody, he has to look it up because he can't remember because he prescribes antibiotics so rarely. <laughs> All right. Um, speak in parents in such a way as not to convince, but to develop a personal relationship from which influence is much more readily acceptable. This is kind of the... When I talk about the American Journal article in a second, you're going to find that that his way of approaching people is so much more human and so much less condescending, less paternalistic than than our 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 two learned friends from previously of Cornell University. Um, don't waste the, by the way, don't waste your effort on hardcore supporters of the CDC schedule. She he says, mm-hmm. don't throw tons of research at them. Simplify the explanation as to why it may be questionable. You know, COVID mRNA is genetically modified. It's a genetically modified vaccine. Yeah. Would you do they eat genetically modified organisms as far as food goes? I mean, it's kind of it's kind of a smart avoid insti- insti- instilling guilt, which leads to cognitive dissonance and shutdown. Mm-hmm. What do you do when there's a family disagreement? It's a tough one. Yeah. What do you do when you know maybe there's a divorce couple and one and one is pro vaccine, the other is anti vaccine, yeah, or yeah. even if you're still married and there's one that's pro and so you said anti-vaccine. Oh yeah. Anti like this vaccine, this yeah. or any vaccine. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, pro and anti in that sense is is correct. Right. I it's the call- same thing though that Dr. Sears was just saying. If you're you're putting it at, at the opposite, you could also say someone who believes in medical freedom. Yes, that would be a better way to say it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. I love when you correct me. Or not correct me, but you enhance me. Ooh, you enhance me. I love it. I okay. Doctors say not to let your child around unvaccinated. Oh, so doctors will, pediatricians will sometimes say something stupid, like tell vaccinated kids not to be playing with unvaccinated right. kids. It makes no sense. Right. If your kid's vaccinated, why do you care if my kid isn't vaccinated? But you can't speak out against their pediatrician because that will then shut them down. 
because they might like their pediatrician. Mm -hmm. So you can't say your pediatrician's an idiot. Yeah, I wouldn't. Do that that, does, that doesn't work. Well, I would. But, <laughs> but, um, you know, ask the person, like I said, ask a question, ask them what they're afraid of. Uh, know which, by the way, know which vaccines prevent disease. Measles, polio, DTaP does not prevent spread of the disease. Mm. Try to find common ground. It may not happen. And then he recommended something called the vaccination podcast. Um, and uh, the Take of Two Sides podcast. So again, I'm just putting that out there. Uh, the last speaker, I got to move on. The last speaker was Jennifer Margulis, and she talks about the benefit of illness. Okay. And as you mentioned earlier, in your wisdom. Melissa mm -hmm. just exudes wisdom, even when she's not doing her wisdom segment. <laughs> I don't need a segment. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't think I'm going to, I don't think we have time for your segment. No, it's fine. All right. Um, so a severe infection, does it wake up the immune system? Mm -hmm. May it be beneficial if you survive? Obviously, if you don't survive, <laughs> it's not going to be good for you. But if you survive a, a, a viral or bacterial illness, your body is stronger for it. Exactly. You know, there's an old saying, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. There's actually a lot of sense to that. But it, it's actually true. Right. Your body is doing what it's intended to do. There's a correlation that people who have mumps have less ovarian oh. cancer. Mm -hmm. I guess women, mm -hmm. <laughs> women who have mumps have less ovarian. Men have mumps, never get ovarian cancer. Isn't that interesting? It's such an interesting statistic. I know, it's pretty funny. <laughs> um, but that was known since 1966. Yet now we vaccinate everybody against mumps. Mm -hmm. Okay, so no one gets mumps anymore. So measles and mumps may reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease. We are now told that we don't want our kids to get sick or have high fevers. Right. We must get that temperature down. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that earlier mm -hmm. without ever seeing my notes. <laughs> Amazing. <It's> very impressive. <laughs> but fever may help the white blood cells get active. It's a natural response. So why do we suppress it unless it's toxically high? Right. Fever makes you want to stay home and rest and therefore protects the herd. Yeah, that part's interesting, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The last part is the problem, again, isn't getting COVID-19 for most of us. There may even be a benefit of getting it. Mm -hmm. uh, we need more skin-to-skin -skin contact. We need oxytocin release. We need a sense of purpose. Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, it's a very short book. One of the uh, one of the few meaningful one of the, one of the most meaningful books you could possibly read in your life is that next to food and water, um, meaning is the most important thing. And if people don't have meaning in their lives, they find other things to make meaningful, mm -hmm. and they find other causes. And sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes they're, they're they're they go insanely insane with these causes. So we or need they to go to sleep. They're not really living. Or they, they or they or they go off on a deep end. Like um, you know, I mean, everybody wants to protect animals, but you don't need to compare chicken killing chickens to all, to the to the Jewish Holocaust as PETA does. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, diversify your microbiome. Avoid toxins. This again, this was a theme central throughout the conference. Avoid pesticides. And again, oh, Jen was the one that said insects don't know property lines or boundaries. Tylenol makes it harder to detox. Oh, by the way, Pfizer and Moderna use sucrose in, in, their, um, in their vaccines. Sucrose has high levels of pesticides, by the way. Hmm. And, and Tylenol makes it harder to detox because of the stress it puts on your liver. I think correct? so. I, she didn't, I, I don't remember why she said that. I, again, this, I'm scribbling notes as we're going yeah. along here. Yeah. And then, uh, by the way, uh, a lot of these vaccines use gelatin from pigs. Mm -hmm. And of course, pigs are getting fed 
crap. Crap. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of pigs are injected with antibiotics. They're yeah. you know they're all that sort of stuff. So you know we just we have too much of these other things, and we don't trust nature to to deal with illness. We think that we have to take a pill or we have to have a shot or something to do it. And you know what? This is a world where people die, and and, and people die no matter what we do. Yeah, but the way game, pe- you guys. but the way people died this year was more evil than anything that I've seen in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. The isolating as people, especially, I mean, like 80% of the people that, that died from COVID were like over 70 and most of them were in nursing homes, that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. anyway, so that the conference was really good. And then, like I said before, part of it is really good because we all got a dose of oxytocin. We all hugged afterwards and we, you know, there was camaraderie and there were some beers going around and it was just, it was just a, it was a nice time. It was really nice to get away. And Ashland is a beautiful little town. I went for a hike in their little, their little hiking trail there. I saw four deer um, and it was, it was great to get away. So thank you, Jennifer, for inviting me. So next week I'm going to, I'm going to focus because it probably would take the whole hour anyway, but there's an article in the American journal of OBGYN that came out this month, which of course is the art is the journal where uh, Dr. Cherbinak is on the, board as part of the ethics advisory committee to the journal that he publishes in, which I've said many times, I think there's a little ethical conflict there when you're publishing in a journal where the people who are peer reviewing your article are your friends. Are your friends. Yeah, a little bit. Correct. Just a little bit. But the article is called Professionally Responsible Coronavirus Disease Vaccination Counseling of Obstetrical and Gynecological Patients. And I'll just read the abstract, put that in into the podcast. The paper focuses on how physicians should implement the results of these clinical trials when counseling patients who are pregnant, planning to become pregnant, breastfeeding, or planning to breastfeed. Why a recommendation of coronavirus disease 2019 vaccination should be made and how this assessment should be presented to patients during the informed consent process with the goal of empowering them to make informed decisions. But just think about what I just read. Mm -hmm. Okay, you, the the recommendation for the, vi- the vaccine should be made and it should be presented to patients during the informed consent process with the goal of empowering them to make informed decisions. So you've got a preconceived decision and you want to convince people to do it. In contrast to the conflicting guidance from government agencies and professional associations around the world, evidence-based professional ethics in obstetrics and gynecology provides unequivocal and clear guidance Physicians should recommend coronavirus 2019 vaccination to patients who want to be pregnant, who are breastfeeding or want yeah. to be breastfeeding. Yeah. Right. So we'll get into the, the, the nitty and gritty of that because I got a lot of nitty gritty in here. Okay. So yeah, I, I, I knew that we weren't going to get to it today. I just was hoping. Too much. It's too much stuff. Can't cram in too much. Do you have something you want to read? Remember we talked about only 20 minutes for our main thing. Yeah, but there's no way that I can do some of these things in 20 minutes. <laughs> I can't. I mean, I, otherwise I would have to break it up into... A couple of parts. Yeah. And then it would be like, there's so much time in between. Mm-hmm. Um, I am going to read um, one review before we end today. But what I want to say before that is um, I agree with a lot of the things that you talked about, about immune community. And I have a great IG live video on Instagram. At the beginning of COVID, I recorded it talking about all of my recommendations for immunity building. So I recommend that you go and look at that. But garlic and ginger are also really great for immunity boosting. Yeah, they taste great too. Yeah, you talked about CD, gut health, um, zinc, rest, 
these are all things that you mentioned that were important. Um, sun cider, or that's also called fire cider, is great. Um, and what's in that is citrus, so lemons, oranges. Then it has onions, jalapenos, horseradish, ginger, turmeric, um, garlic, local honey, and apple cider vinegar. Apple cider vinegar is another really good one. Really good thing. I give that to my horse. Yeah. So you, this is our friends, Wild Wolf Apothecary. This is Desiree's company. Um, but you can get different uh, brands of this, but we, I take shots of this every single day. And I really do think that that kind of healthy living is what helped me not get. Sick. I'll probably ask you for the link to that. Right. So that we, we would love to link Desi's amazing. Right. Okay. So what do you got? So um, a review for uh, that came out on the 19th. I love, I have loved listening to this podcast. I had a singleton after taking the Bradley, um, taking Bradley method vaginal with no medication. And then I got pregnant with my twins a year and a half later. I knew how to advocate for the birth that I desired but so sad how much I had to fight for it. Dr. Stu gave me hope two years ago, just hearing about the work he does on the West Coast and was so close to flying out to an Airbnb and to deliver my twins. Um, had he had me, she wanted to come out, but couldn't do it. Um, brought, to, um, brought to tears listening to him advocate for the twin mom that was five centimeters dilated at the local hospital and then doctor walked out. What kind of birthing atmosphere is that? Uh, just so thankful for you two and all involved in your work. Thank you. So um, please continue to, um, it says Rachel. So her name might be Rachel. Thank you so much for your review. And um, please continue to get on. We've gotten some great reviews lately that have been coming in. Um, it helps other people find our podcast. So I want to I want to end with a, with a quick uh, story that I heard somebody on the radio say the other day. You know, I think we have a pandemic of stupidity. That's what I, I, I say that going on. And this was this was just a, it was was in that light that he told this story. He said that his aging mother had bought a property near a canal. Uh, I think it was in Florida. And so, just in case she would ever like drive off the road into the canal. Mm -hmm. He bought her a hammer so that she could smash the window mm -hmm. and get out of the car. You know, if you're, you know, it's not a bad idea, actually, if you live by a river or by some, to have something where you can smash the window. Mm -hmm. All right. So one day she picks him up to go someplace and he's looking around the car and he's going, you got mom, what'd you do with the hammer? Oh, don't worry, honey. It's in the trunk. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, with that note, uh, with that note, I'll, we'll end it here and we'll just say thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. 